Roy Kent just making them run from end to end to end like Conte does is just brilliant. Kente, if you will. The redemption of Nate the hate to Nate the great mate on a date. I just want to confirm that comment go through me. That's got nothing to do with the pegging, right? Oh, it's 100% not okay, but it's really understandable. Heavy says only a pound a hole, which I thought might become another show entirely. And I'm sorry, anyone who says they haven't stalked an ex on social media is lying. Like you said, it's just that that journey that Jamie's been on. I've got down here as uh, he's her knight in shining white gilet. Love that trivia. Oh, I like option C. I think you'll find it was me who said that, Damien Cooper. This podcast was recorded remotely and contains adult themes and language. Hello and welcome to TV DNA, Ted Lasso, Season 3, Episode 7, The Strings That Bind Us, and Episode 8, We'll Never Have Paris. My name is Alan Henning, and I've been joined by a co-host who's no stranger to dreaming things up in barbecue sauce-related hallucinations. It's Izzy Dixon. I read this book that said, if you like a woman, you should insult her. <laughs> and also with us, he's just a little boy, ambivalent as heck. It's Damien Cooper. It's okay. His penis is okay. <laughs> as if to prove my point. <laughs> Well, welcome back, Izzy, first of all, to our Ted Lasso pods. Great to have you back off the bench. I'm very pleased to be back. I'm very sad I've missed the last two of these because I've been enjoying the series and I haven't had anyone to talk about it with. We've been talking in the last pod about how we felt like the series had turned a corner and was getting better. I enjoyed these two episodes as a pair. and There's definitely big laugh out loud moments for me. How about you guys? Yeah, I would say definitely enjoyed both. I think for me, the Amsterdam episode, Sunflowers, was still kind of series high in terms of uh, episodes that have really made me laugh. So haven't enjoyed these two quite as much. I know a lot of people liked episode seven a lot more than episode six. So I'm kind of in the minority on that one. But they're, they're really good. There's been some really, really good storytelling. Nothing for me, I think, is going to be Jamie teaching Roy how to ride a bike. <laughs> yeah, my feeling is there wasn't enough Rebecca in either of them. but. I thought they were good. I really liked all the stuff with Sam. I know he's busy being a journalist talking about the the new organ that everyone, all the women have grown in the power to spend all that time at Richmond AFC. But yeah, some, some interesting stuff. As always, the wider aspect, I guess, all the lives of the footballers is what makes this show really interesting, probably more than the actual football. Although... The football has also been good. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly the the consolation goal against Arsenal was was a joy to behold. Right, where should we start then? Let's start with episode seven. Do you want to talk about the Sam storyline in that, first of all, seeing as you mentioned it? Yeah, let's do it. I think it's the most interesting one. Certainly for, I guess, football fans or, or listeners who aren't from the UK, the whole story about Sam getting involved in politics and standing up for migrants and people fleeing to the country mirrors the real life situation in the UK. A lot of footballers are socially conscious now. We had Ted reading Marcus Rashford's book, who infamously is very much experienced at standing up against the government and looking out for people. So yeah, that really struck a chord for me. I don't know about you two. Yeah, I thought that was a beautiful storyline. And 
I love the relationship between Sam and his dad. I think they've explored it really beautifully in past seasons. And I just loved them having that moment. And also Sam's dad meeting Ted. That just feels like it was overdue. It was great. But there was a really beautiful kind of arc in there about where Sam has got this sense of responsibility and morals from and loved the beautiful framing at the end when you realise that actually the restaurant is named after his dad. Played beautifully by Nonzo Anonzi, obviously from Game of Thrones, but also in Sweet Tooth, season two of which I'm thoroughly enjoying at the moment. But he is just such a beautiful actor, I think, always in everything he does. He is an actor that I always think should be working constantly in everything at the highest level because, like you said, there is an easy charm and beauty to all his performances that you can't help but like and want to root for the characters he plays. Definitely. Just watching him dancing with Sam in the restaurant at the end of episode seven, I thought, was just the perfect, joyous way to finish that episode off. Yeah, that was great. And cooking for everyone as well. Love that. Well, this is what I like about that. So Sam's storyline, as we said, is about him standing up to, what's the woman's name? Brenda Barrett, uh, or Barrow, who is the kind of right wing, we shouldn't allow migrants into the country. So he finds out about all of this as his dad's about to arrive from Nigeria from Simi, who is the chef in at Ola's. And there's a bit of chemistry there but we don't get too much of it yet. But Sam decides after seeing a video to tweet uh, and then it all kicks off and his restaurant is trashed and his dad comes back. And what I really loved about that final scene, first of all, you know, he takes his dad to see the restaurant. The restaurant is being fixed. The rest of the lads have decided to take it upon themselves along with Sam's uh, staff in the restaurant to do the place up. And they're working out and everyone's using their different skills. And the French guy's brought his wine. And we get to the end of, you know, they're all sitting there. The French guy's bringing out the wine. They're listening to some uh, Nigerian Afro beats. They're making some Nigerian food. The team is at its strongest when the art and the culture is shared, which I thought was another nice riposte to this idea of polarization and uh, the demonization of migrants. Because how many of that team were born in the UK? Hardly any. It's a nice throwback as well, right, to that Christmas episode where they all go to the Higginses and everyone brings food from their, their own Christmases back home and there's a sense of them all being home, like, together. And I, I really love that. And again, it's kind of like a shared big table and them all having a meal. And I also really liked how that mirrored the kind of total football sort of storyline of the episode where it's what what the players around you need what the people around you need and Sam needs help at that moment and needs help putting the restaurant back together and they all show up and do that and it's yeah it's just a really beautiful way of tying those two storylines together yeah there there might have been some dust in my eye during that (laughs) scene where he goes into the restaurant and they're all helping clean it up I think it's really interesting that he tweets about this thing and then she tweets back right the politician not just once, she does it two or three times, kind of almost provoking him into another response. And eventually he bites and he'd rather be mediocre than be a world-class bigot. And it's after that tweet that his restaurant gets trashed. And he's furious about this. I mean, that that scene of, of them revealing the damage to the restaurant, I thought was really, really beautifully shot. Just the way that it slowly kind of revealed what they were looking at and the devastation in the, in the restaurant there. Yeah, so the... Graffiti says shut up and dribble. But the I know we talked about it really, but that conversation when Ola comes in, 
Sam has the meltdown. People don't really know what's going on. And then his dad turns up and he goes off to talk to his dad. And there was a phrase that Ollie uses, which is don't fight back, fight forward. And that the idea that this restaurant is almost primarily something for the for the diaspora when they miss home and they want something that reminds them of who they are, they go there. That it's like a bonus that other people get to come and taste that food and sample that culture. And I think just that idea of once again, Ola is teaching Sam to be proud of who he is and where he's from, which obviously explains why Sam is the way he is. He's confident without being arrogant, you know? Yeah. The, the full line is that anger will only weaken you. Piss them off by forgiving them. Big whoop. Don't fight back, fight forward. I think the other great thing here, and obviously that this is based on a lot of kind of true storylines sort of merged together, is shut up and dribble is an actual phrase. I don't know if you guys remember this, but this happened in America in the basketball world. Um, and it was LeBron James was speaking out about politics and a right-wing news anchor told him to shut up and dribble and was like, I'm not interested in hearing from someone who earns 100 million a year to throw a ball around. Um, and I think off the back of that, he maybe even set up a company with that as a kind of tagline or catchphrase or some, something like that. But it's it's a really famous moment. So I think really great that they're drawing on lots of these real-world experiences. Obviously thought a lot about Marcus Rashford as well. But yeah, that it's very sort of rooted in reality, which I love. There's a really nice motif running through this episode from the very beginning because it takes place over a number of days. And we see at the beginning of each day these small businesses opening up in this idyllic Richmond landscape that they have. And it's just a really lovely contrast to those other mornings when he goes into the shop and, and it's all completely trashed. I think also, if I'm correct, and nearly all of those businesses, foreign cuisines as well. There's Touch of Athens, there's an Italian one. I think there's a couple of other ones, but certainly all names of shops and restaurants that aren't English, which I think is also kind of important. Yeah, I hadn't picked up on that element of it, but I think you are probably right there, yeah. Yeah, I haven't either, but great spot. And I do I do love a lot of um, the sort of cinematography in Ted Lasso in each episode and how they do set up little sequences. Yeah, all the kind of visual language of each episode does sort of have a deeper meaning, which I think is really great. It's very considered. So someone else who has a big storyline in this episode, which does follow through into episode eight, and maybe we cover this in, in both, but is, is our Nate, the redemption of Nate the hate to Nate the great mate on a date. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick off this bit by saying how much I love Jade. And I've, I've really enjoyed her as a character since the start. And I think part of it is just her lack of taking any bullshit. She's just not at all interested in the name droppy status chasing worrying what other people think she just has no time for it and I think it's it's just a really great person to put Nate against I just love that she's so hard to read she's like got she's got a resting blank face <laughs> it's kind of it's just so brilliant the way she doesn't react or respond to very very much at all yeah I think she's superb I mean we see this kind of build-up right of Nate going there he goes into the restaurant he starts to say it and then he doesn't he goes to the bath and then he comes back and I thought oh man are they building this up for him to shoot his shot and get absolutely burned but yeah all those things and he stops and he goes out and we see him building and I think that he gets a message from his mum right saying don't forget your sister's birthday oh we'll go to Taste of Athens no I'm cooking something 
and we see the family we see nate's family so we've seen his mum and his dad obviously like right at the beginning but we haven't seen them since and getting the idea of what he is where he's come from really helps to humanize what was obviously clearly a lovable but definitely still a baddie yeah i loved some of the season one throwbacks in this kind of family dynamic so first of all the fact his dad loves maps i don't know if you remember that's the big kind of comedy line very early in season one he has a conversation ted about like number of miles between the uk and america and also his niece loving crafts and again in season one i think episode one and two he makes the kind of suggestion box with a little goofy face which is great so i loved i loved the fact that these details they've given their characters are all sort of coming back i just think it's so great and they're clearly writers who really really have built these characters and really have kind of a a whole history of them. I could just feed the stuff back in in a way that's so satisfying. I love that he's programmed his Siri to call him Wonderkind. Um, <laughs> but even Siri can't tell him if a girl likes you or is just being nice to you. Is there only one way to find out? I have to say, I also loved seeing a bit more of his parents' relationship. Because every time we've seen Nate's parents, it's been quite a kind of, I guess, quite a cold relationship. You know, his dad's always kind of disappointed in him. Nothing he ever does is quite enough. And you really sort of do get the the idea of the way he's been parented, kind of contributing to who he is and his insecurities. But actually the fact that his parents are really in love and his mum really encourages him to go for this, go for like shooting his shot at Jade, I think it's so great. So it's a really lovely twist in that, I think. Yeah, and I think it also mirrors that scene later when he has his own diamond dog, the Love Hounds, he sits there with his mum and his sister and his mum and sister, sacred feminine energy, all those vibes, do it, go for it, building him up. Yeah, of course, do this, do that. And then when he has his love hounds, like the complete opposite to what it's like at Richmond, you've got two very clear versions of toxic masculinity giving horrendous advice. And then Rupert, who just doesn't show up. And I love that phone call to Miss Cakes. Wait, is he coming? No, he's not coming. <laughs> More Miss Cakes. Yes, please. More Miss Cakes. Definitely. But yeah, his issue in episode eight is that he doesn't know how to define a relationship, right? He doesn't know whether he can call her his girlfriend yet, which obviously gets resolved at the end. I was going to talk about something else. So when he finally picks up the courage and he's made the box and she's coming out, she's sweeping the steps. He's the other side of the road. He's holding the box and he trips and the box gets flattened by a car. I thought it was almost kind of Hanna-Barbera-esque in its slapstick comedy. It felt like watching a real-life, like Roadrunner and Wiley e. Coyote almost, the, the madcapness of it. And they managed to get that, but also make it feel very real, which is not easy. There's also the brilliant moment where he goes into the bathroom and you think he's going to spit and turn into Evil Nate. Do you guys remember that bit? And you're literally just kind of willing it, being like, don't spit, don't spit, don't spit. And he doesn't do it. He goes out and it just does it as himself and asks her out. So thrilled. Doesn't she say something about there wasn't an animal in there in the box that gets squished? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> He's also, I mean, the other thing that happens with Nate, obviously, is that Ted turns up to watch the West Ham match with, with Henry in tow. And do you think he was, Nate seemed to be quite pleased about Ted being there? Yeah, I think Nate was really pleased. And he did, he did the kind of, um, again, really lovely throwback to season one. There's a bit where they're waving at him and he kind of almost gestures at himself in a kind of like who me way, which is what he does right at the start of series one 
whenever they kind of wave at him, he's like me. And they're like, yes, you, Nate, you're the default Nate. So he's always like, he still can't quite believe it. Um, and I really love that evolution. That was great. But yeah, I mean, I'm really loving the fact that Ted is sort of more at peace with what's happened than he is. And he's just sort of deeply embarrassed and ashamed. And Ted has maybe not been able to move on, but there's a real difference in where they're at. Yeah, I think the other important thing about the second episode with Nate is there's two clear moments with him where he starts to write a message to say what he actually wants to say. So first to Jade and then to Rupert. And then he stops himself and he censors himself for something far less direct which i think is important because i'm assuming we're going to see in the next couple episodes that he just sends the message that he writes first time without self-censoring do we think we're going to get reconciliation then between nate and ted uh, at some point do you think he's going to return to richmond or will he take over when ted leaves i have an end game theory which i texted my housemate i think the final match of the season is going to come down to west ham versus richmond I think that's like a foregone conclusion. And I think West Ham will technically win, but Richmond will sort of win everyone's hearts in some way. So they'll take the high road somehow, have a really defining moment, uh, but they'll come second. But I think Ted will leave to go back to America to be with Henry. And I think Nate will take over at Richmond. And the, the implication will be that Richmond will probably win the next season. I second that. And I think what will happen at the end of the game is... Nate will go for the handshake that he accidentally missed or supposedly blanked and Ted will embrace him rather than shake his hand. Oh, I can see that moment happening now, Damo. It's beautiful. It has to be, right? Yeah, welling up over here. Yeah, lovely stuff. And I do hope Ted gets a cup, like maybe the FA Cup or something. You know, I'd like to see him win something with Richmond, as well as everyone's hearts, obviously. Yeah, I mean, they have been sort of setting it up as this three-season arc where they do win the whole thing. I wonder if there's going to be a kind of final twist where that doesn't quite happen. I'm not sure. I think there's going to be something interesting. But we still got, as I believe, Zava will come back as a West Ham player. Yeah, I said that exact thing in this theory as well. <laughs> OK, should we talk about total football? Yeah, so I'm going to start by saying I know I know nothing about total football, bar what I've learned from Ted Lasso. As someone who doesn't watch or follow football at all, this was very much a learning curve for me. It's as much an educational episode as anything else. I was going to ask, what did you think of the PowerPoint presentation of the evolution from total football to what Mikel Arteta is doing at Arsenal? It was great. Yeah, I feel like I'm an expert now. Thank you, <laughs> Coach Beard. For me, the key takeaway from that was Pep Guardiola has lost his hair because God had to take it away just to balance things out. I think basically the combination of the PowerPoint and then the practical demonstration on the field with the red string. Totally got it now. Sports genius. This also led to, I think, my favourite line in the two episodes, which is football is life, but a beautiful life is total football. The other line I really enjoyed, which I thought epitomised kind of where the series was going as well, was they talk about total football being about taking risks and supporting each other's choices. I mean, we can definitely link that to what Nate was doing in this episode. Yeah, and, and lots of other bits, I'm sure. And I love the fact Trent Krim got a kind of meta moment. <laughs> I would have to find the quote, but he has a kind of like, almost calls out exactly what the writers are doing, right? For Ted Lasso, it says. It's about them changing tactics, isn't it? Is it that moment where they're talking about, you haven't just changed tactics over a week, you've been doing it over three seasons. Yeah, exactly. He's such a nerd. 
but he's our nerd. <laughs> I I love Trent Krim. Yes, he is brilliant. He had another moment in episode eight, which I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, I think he's He brilliant. becomes one of the Diamond Dogs. Oh yeah, that was all his he's Diamond Dogs friend. moment. Yes. <laughs> yeah, him him sort of trying to understand what what it means to be a Diamond Dog. And you know, just him copying the points that Coach Beard does and stuff it was just lovely. It also, I know we talked about briefly the, the red strings around the penises. But I think also because this show has definitely got better at it, mirroring real life football in the football. And I think Roy Kent just making them run from end to end to end, like Conte does, is just brilliant. Kente, if you will. <laughs> so definitely the red strings and the and the worry that they'd snapped Jamie Tart's penis off was the laugh out loud moment for me in this episode. It was so, so funny. Fully cried. But the look on Danny Rojas's face is just amazing. I think the best thing for me is that they have this beautiful quote about um, Japan, like Japanese culture, a soulmate is tied to you by red string. And then Jamie Tart says something like, okay, but why is it tied around our dicks? And then the camera pans down. It's just like such a good bit of writing. And Roy's little snigger. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Something else just from before that that then leads into the training is when Beard and Ted are having that little chat in the pub and the three fans come up you know our kind of our clowns our Shakespearean clowns I guess in the piece Beard's ready to throw down Ted says no it's their right what's the phrase he says it's their team we're just borrowing it for a while which I think also kind of feeds into your theory Izzy that 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 Ted will go back to the States and then he invites them to the training and Beard's like, what the hell are you doing? And then each time we go back to a training session, there are more and more people watching in the stands, showing how much he's building back up trust with the fan base after a set of absolutely dire results. Yeah, there's a lovely Tedism where he says, we ain't running a chocolate factory or Deutsche Bank, nothing to hide. And then invites <laughs> the fans to come and watch. It's lovely. It's also around that comment they're talking about um, pegging and marriage. And he says, I guess marriage and pegging aren't that different. It's all about compromise. <laughs> I want to talk about the versatility training day as well, because we, we missed that one. But basically getting everyone to swap roles and be different people. And the swap of Beard and Will. So Beard is being the kit man and throwing around water bottles. But Will as Beard was just absolutely brilliant. He keeps on going with it. So he's sat at Beard's desk with his feet on the desk. I also like when the players then took on the personality of the ones they were supposed to swap. What's the name of the captain again? Isaac. Yeah, Isaac and Danny switching places was hilarious. <laughs> do we have to do the accents? Yeah, we probably should do the accents. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the fans, the little, the little group of fans whose names I can never remember, all swapping personalities as well. Ted says that Isaac was put in a box uh, as a 10-year-old with the strength and facial hair of a grown man. <laughs> Do you know what? Episode 7 has some genuine laugh-out-loud funny lines. I mean, they they always do, but I think there were some real, yeah, some of the genuine biggest laughs I've had have been that episode. Yeah, I think one of them in that scene before was where, oh no, it's the next episode, sorry, about him feeling uncomfortable when white people call Jay-Z Jiggerman, which I also thought was pretty good. There's also, I think the highlight for me was post the red string training where Roy is in the 
Royce in the coach's room being like, right, I've got it. Next time, Jamie Tars here. And they're like, Roy, I think it's a one-time thing. Yeah, multiple strings to multiple dicks. <laughs> <laughs> it's in that, it's just before that, there's, they get their, their great escape theme and they're passing the water bottles around like they're in a Nike ad, um, which again, I really enjoyed. That was so good, wasn't it? Showing, But that was also then to help Will, right? So they weren't just helping each other. They were helping Will do his job. That is the level of synchronicity, simpatico, teamwork that they have. And it's already there. And it's just going to get better as they go through more and more training sessions. One final thing on the, on the team then, on the squad. They're losing 3-0 at halftime to Arsenal and having their, their team talk. And Ted goes through the, the blue-collar comedy tour and the, talks about the different types of facial hair. And Roy's chipping in, but hating the fact that he's chipping in. So he's got lines like, God, I hate what you've done to me and make it stop, which were just absolutely brilliant. And then it's Jamie Tart who comes up with the, the answer to it all. Stop going to me and start going through me. I honestly think one of the strongest things this whole season has been the evolution of Jamie Tart. It's such good writing. It's Again, it's writers who really, really know these characters. But all the little callbacks, and I know we'll talk about it. I won't come on to it now so we don't kind of spoil the flow, but the end of episode eight in particular and Jamie taking accountability, which is a thing he doesn't do in season one, is just, oh, it's just great. I just want to confirm that comment, go through me, that, that's got nothing to do with the pegging, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think so. Can I briefly move us on to Rebecca yep. if we're finished with the Arsenal stuff? We then cut to Keely and Rebecca in, I'm assuming, some kind of corporate box, having their prawn, prawn mayonnaise sandwiches or whatever it is that they have there. Rebecca's still talking about this guy. She is still very much smitten with him. They talk about it. She says, we didn't have sex. Oh, it's a shame. I would have liked to see his penis or whatever. But she says, what they had transcended sex, which is what I was saying when we did the episodes, I think that it is something more that both of them felt. And that's why he says, you know, we did, we did and all that sort of stuff. But I looked it up and it's called, so Rebecca has basically come what is known as a Hollanderphile, which is someone who is obsessed with all things Netherlands. Now I know Holland is a region in the Netherlands. The country is called the Netherlands, not Holland, but the phrase is a Hollanderphile. And I wonder if that means she's going to jump on the Eurostar back to the canal boat. I'm going to do a bit of a Debbie Downer here. Even though I've really enjoyed these two episodes, I agree with Damon, there's not been enough Rebecca. And I'm not sure I'm loving like the character direction in these two episodes. It feels like she's got very, it's all about the kind of romance again. And I think what we've really enjoyed seeing from Rebecca is things like her friendship with Keely and the kind of direction she's taking the team in and sort of negotiating that and her relationship with Ted. And I don't know, I just feel like it's gotten, the last two episodes have been a bit, either she's talking about this guy from Holland or she's kind of being used as a bit of a vehicle for other characters to figure stuff out. And I'm not not loving that. So I'm hoping that's something that they're going to, I don't know, maybe it's just a little Rebecca slump and something else is going to happen in episode nine. I hope so. I mean, we have had this, for me... Uh... It's also been a big problem with Rebecca's arc in this series. She keeps failing the Bletchdale test. And anytime she has a scene that isn't about talking about a guy, she's amazing. 
like really, really good. Like I said, that moment in the last two episodes where she goes to confront Ted that they're losing and all she literally does is make a sound from her frustration and it's brilliant. It's hilarious. It gets everything across and it's brilliant. I do agree that we are getting a little bit down that, oh, right, it's just about the dudes then, is it? Yeah, totally. And even the last two episodes when, I guess when it hasn't been about that, I feel like she's been a bit of a vehicle for so that the kind of love bombing chat in episode seven, where she's giving us an insight to Jack and Keely's relationship and then the Paris chat and sort of supporting Ted. While lovely and had some really nice moments, it feels like she's being used for those characters to travel along their, their own storylines rather than having her own. She's such a nuanced character and the writing of her has been so good and she's so brilliantly played. And, you know, we followed her through some really, really interesting storylines that it just feels a little bit disappointing. I'm just kind of hoping it picks back up again. Yeah, there's so many characters, aren't there? And it is really difficult for them to keep on top of all of them. I mean, we've got four episodes left still of the season. And I definitely think there's going to be, I'm hoping that there's going to be some big Rebecca action at some point during these next four episodes. Like, she's she's such a huge part of the show. They, they can't not. I thought she was brilliant in those conversations with with Keely in episode seven and the one with Ted's, especially in, in episode eight, but I totally take your point that it's it's her being the sort of supporting role in those bits. But I think the impact she has on them both is still significant. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's not forget, she won awards for that performance. She's won Emmys, she's won loads of big awards playing Rebecca. I think the other thing I just wanted to talk about is the end of that scene when Sam's dad, Ola, turns up and is introduced to Rebecca. And obviously we get back to Rebecca and her relationship with men. But what I loved about it was that, once again, this is why she's such a phenomenal performer. We could see the awkwardness. We could see her trying to be breezy. We could see her try and smooth off this kind of awkwardness. And then Ola says, Sam has told me all about you. And that's it. It's just awkward. And the fact that Ola loves the awkwardness of it, and she still is like, oh, okay, I guess so. And then that being mirrored with that conversation at the end of the episode where Ola says to Simi, Ah, oh, Sam's told me all about you, and it's not awkward. And what that's setting up between Sam and Simi. Sorry, I know I've I've once again moved us back to where we were, but I just thought that was an inter- another interesting parallel. No, I I love that. Um, I think the show does parallels so beautifully, and setting something in motion at the beginning of an episode, and then kind of bringing it full circle in a really satisfying way. Totally agree. Really, really loved that moment. We've talked about them briefly, but I think the other storyline running through episode seven and into episode eight is obviously the Keeley and Jack storyline. So largely in episode seven, this is about Jack buying her extravagant gifts and Keeley wanting to do something nice for her in exchange. And then in episode eight, it obviously all goes a little bit wrong for them as a couple. Well, in episode seven... There is that. That's the kind of main plot. But I think the kind of subtext of that is whether or not this is a kind of equitable relationship. And in particular, as in that conversation with Rebecca, whether Jack's love bombing her and they keep kind of coming back to this. And there's like lots of comparisons being drawn between Jack and Rupert, who very much swept Rebecca off their feet and bought her a car on their second date and then obviously turned out to be kind of awful. I thought episode seven set up, set that up really nicely. Me and my housemate who watch sort of religiously together have the last few weeks been a bit like, oh, even if she seems really great, like this is a woman who technically her boss is funding her business. Like it's not 
an equitable power dynamic. There's a lot of kind of problems here and something is just a bit off and not quite right. When you talk about love bombing and, and that kind of control, it is all about gut instinct and, you know, reading between the lines. And I think it really set up the ambiguity of that really beautifully. Well, yes, yeah, it's like Keely says to Rebecca, I can't remember the exact phrase it was, so please correct me, either of you, if you know it, uh, about this idea of being colorblind to red flags. And so she says that about being colorblind to red flags to thinking they're green flags. And I just think that Jack is a is a manipulator. And I don't think it's good, man. I think I was already a bit dubious about her early on in this episode because it was please stop doing this, please stop doing it. And, you know, she carried on. I think that whole thing of, oh, Jack's paid for the meal with Rebecca. That wasn't a genuine nice gift. That was controlling. Yeah, agree. Agree. And there's just a few things. I mean, definitely in episode eight, obviously, but I think they've sowed some seeds really well where even if that behavior is nice and really flattering, there's something not okay about it. And they've kind of, I don't know, I think there's been a really good introduction of something just seeming quite off and you can't put your finger on it. I actually have a little bit of a theory about Barbara because Barbara is obviously, when they announced their relationship to the office, Barbara was a bit kind of funny about it. And my theory is that Barbara has seen Jack do this before. I was going to say the exact same thing. I think, and that's what's going to be what changes the relationship between Barbara and Keely. And Barbara will eventually say, "Look, you need to know Jack's done this a million times before." Because that's what I get the feeling. I get the feeling that Jack is all nice and breezy, and everything's great, and hearts and flowers and all that. But the moment it gets difficult, as we found, she's gone. She drops it. I mean, I've got some theories, but I'll talk about when we get further down the narrative for those two. Yeah, I, I was confused about Barbara's reaction to things in episode seven. So I think that's really a really good theory and really cleared things up for me in that respect. So Keely in episode eight, is a massive part of episode eight is that a number of celebrities have had videos uh, where someone's hacked somewhere and released a load of videos online. And one of those is Keely. I don't know how we described this performing a sexual act for a partner. She's created a sex video, basically, for someone. And initially, I thought that was something she'd sent to Jack. I thought it was a recent thing. But I think later on, obviously, we find out it's something that she sent to Jamie. And just going, just picking, obviously, we'll talk about this in more detail. But I just wanted to pick up on Roy's interaction with Keely in this episode, because it, it relates, I think, exactly to what you we were just talking about with Jack, is that for him, he wants to know who she did that video for. And it's kind of not really, you know, it is, it is kind of almost being that, controlling figure as well he doesn't quite go as far as Jack but it's still hurtful to Keely in that moment I think yeah I think when these things happen there tend to be three responses you see quite a lot and one is just straight up slut shaming people like you shouldn't do that that's not okay one is kind of like well it's okay if it's for this person but not for this person and I think particularly women see it from well women and men I'm sure but particularly women see it from partners where it's like well you know, I don't so much mind the video, but I mind who you did it for. So it's kind of like, I mind your past history. And Jack and uh, Roy represent those really well. And for Jamie, it's just, you know, I'm so sorry you're hurt. This is really awful. And he's completely on her side. And I think that's really interesting. I think that Roy also has a slightly problematic response to it, but in a quite a different way to Jack. He's not slut shaming Keely, but his kind of insecurity about her past definitely kind of rears its head. And he does in his defence, immediately realises he's fucked up. 
Totally. But I'll say explicitly, but I, I think you've kind of pretty much said it implicitly, Izzy. He has no fucking right to ask that question. I yeah. don't think they've yeah. necessarily had that much interaction recently, right? It's been polite, and obviously he really likes her still, but I don't think that, you know, they haven't remained quote-unquote friends. They're not regularly hanging out. And so, in many ways, how dare he ask that fucking question? It seems it's more to do with, as you said, his ego. Yeah. They're talking about that in the locker room. Jamie doesn't say anything. Jamie Jamie doesn't actually comment on it at all, just that it's not okay. But Roy leaves the room, he festers, and then when he sees her, he can't help but ask the question that he had no right to ask. Absolutely. And I think I think it's really important because I think this is a storyline that probably will be relatable for quite a lot of women, unfortunately. Things like revenge porn and leaks are a huge thing. And even are getting even more so now tech is getting more and more advanced. And I think, you know, we're sort of past the, well, the discussion still happens where people get slut shamed and there's the kind of, you know, if you make that kind of stuff, you deserve it getting leaked. You know, we're kind of used to that argument, but I do think there's a slightly more insidious argument that probably goes on in relationships, which is less about the content of videos and more about people's past and how much of a right current or even past, but more recent past partners have to that. Roy was really interesting because I think it's having a slightly more nuanced but very recognisable take on that situation. Definitely. I mean, I thought Junaid Temple was fantastic in this episode. She's not going to apologise, and I think that's that's the issue for Jack, isn't it? Jack's written this statement, which is full of lawyer ick, and Keely doesn't see, you know, she, essentially she wants Keely to apologise for what she's done. I think also what's interesting is that Jack immediately says it's not really her, it's the lawyer. And I think all of this, most of what Jack says in this episode is absolute bullshit. And I think that that is absolutely Jack's plan. Jack's pushed that and then has refused to take responsibility for it when checked. Because what she says is, oh, yeah, no, it's terrible. We won't do it. And then later on goes, so there's a second draft if you want to do that instead. She doesn't tell her what's going on. All this controlling behaviour that keeps coming. She says, don't worry about it. We're going to go to this polo day, right? You're going to go, Keely's going to go to Harvey Nick. She's going to buy herself something nice. And then Jack decides actually they're not going and doesn't tell her. And she says, the reason why I said we weren't going to go is because I thought you won't want to be around press. And I thought, bullshit. You don't want to go because you don't want the press to see you with Keely, which is then mirrored at the mini golf scene where she just says, it's my friend Keely, not my girlfriend Keely. There's all these other moments where it seems that Jack is absolutely refusing to properly, genuinely back and support Keely. It's all to do with the perception of her, which is, you know, we get that big argument when she storms off. Yeah, it was interesting comparing that moment in the mini golf place to episode seven, where Jack encourages Keely to announce to the office that they are in a relationship. And, you know, we get a lovely line from Dan that love is love. And I wrote cracks starting to form at that point and knew that there was probably going to be dooms by the end of the episode. I would agree with Adam that Juno Temple's performance in this is amazing. But I loved, loved, loved that last scene with Jack and Keely just being like, I am not going to apologise. I do not regret it. It's just such a phenomenal bit of acting from Juno Temple, who's so funny and so brilliant every week. But when she really goes to like a serious point, she just always lands it. Yeah, I d- uh, yeah, and I think also just that 
the stuff that she was doing when she's introduced as a friend, all the stuff Juno does in that moment and the rest of that scene is lovely. And then Jack tries to basically love bomb her way out of that problem. Let's play 20 pounds, uh, whoever wins, you know, all that sort of stuff, basically trying to buy the whole moment away. And then when she says she can't cheat, Healy says only a pound a hole, which I, I thought might become another show entirely. <laughs> I mean, it's not without humour. There's a lovely moment. Uh, they're talking about posting a statement on social media. And Barbara says, not Facebook, though, because that's just grandparents and racists now, isn't it? But also we need to talk about the Jamie Tart scene because he, he thought his emails were secure. Uh, even though his password was password, he thought he tricked them because he'd spelt it with two S's. That, for me, was the laugh out loud moment of oh. this episode, definitely. It was. I nearly had that as my opening quote. But I was just like, we're going to end up talking about what a brilliant quote it was, so I'll go with something else. I think also just the way it was shot of opening the door on him standing there, because I didn't think it was going to be Jack, obviously, but I thought it was more like to be Roy than it was to be Jamie. So I was quite su surprised. And like you said, there's just that that journey that Jamie's been on. I've got down here as uh, he's her knight in shining white gilet. <laughs> I have to say, though, I am a bit scared they're kind of taking a Jamie Keeley endgame, and I I could be really disappointed if that happens. You know, I'll reserve judgment, I'll trust the writers, but Keeley and Roy, even if he fucked up in this episode. That was going to be my question, was, was who would you most like to see Keeley end up with, or would you prefer to see her standing strong on her own without any of the three of them? I mean, possibly that. I'm worried about the direction of the Jamie thing but I did to the kind of credit of the episode I did think that final appearance from Jamie was going to be them setting something up and actually I was quite pleasantly surprised by the I guess kind of twist that it was Jamie she sent the video to. My hope theory whatever you want to call it is that there is still a tussle between Jamie and Roy perhaps one or two episodes over Keely's affections but she does end up rejecting the both of them and that uh, we get a flash forward of them years in the future in a kind of Waldorf and Stadler-like relationship where, where Roy and Jamie have just become these two blokes that are always together. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've said this quite a few times. I am not even remotely interested in revisiting that love triangle. It's been done to death. So I think, yeah, it has to be that they they kind of all go off and do their own thing. Yeah, I and mean, I definitely prefer that to Keely and Jamie, but obviously I've got a very soft spot for Roy and Keely. Should we move on? Yeah. This show is called uh, Ted Lasso, so we probably ought to ought to talk a little bit about Ted. Mostly his, his storyline in episode eight, I think, where Henry, along with Michelle, his uh, I can't I don't think they're divorced yet, are they? I think they must be if he's worrying that she's about to get engaged to someone else. I think he signed the divorce papers electronically. He did in season one. Yes, correct. Michelle and Jake, her new fella, have come to London, to Richmond, and Henry's going to spend the weekend with Ted whilst they go off to Paris. I want to jump just a little bit further back. Sorry, always me. The episode starts, we get this montage of the wins uh, that uh, Richmond have got. So they've been Aston Villa, Spurs, Everton. Uh, they've got 12 points. There's four games on the bounce they've won, right? And so this is something like, oh, Ted should be absolutely over the moon and we see him and he's desolate. And I think that all starts when he looks through the window and he sees Ola with his arm around Sam 
in the episode before there's that brief moment where he looks through the window and it's kind of like his heart's ripped from his chest and so i think that's why we find him in that headspace because we don't see we don't get much of him really do we in the in the first episode of the two and that's why he is where he's at because i think also this is another one of those things where is it okay we took there's a lot about consent in this episode and obviously it's really upsetting for ted to think that his ex-wife might be marrying jake but is it okay for him to to go to the lengths that he wants to go to to find out oh it's 100 not okay but it's really understandable and i'm sorry anyone who says they haven't stalked an ex on social media is lying i think this episode did a really good job at showing how difficult it can be to go through a, a divorce or a breakup of a relationship and I've been sort of pretty down on Ted throughout the series I think he pulled it back a bit in episode six or episode five and six but I did I quite enjoyed this story arc in this episode and I thought it was really interesting and he is in the depths of despair and obviously that conversation with Rebecca helps him put it around and, and see that the important thing is his relationship with his son. I think Something it's set up really well is that in a lot of shows, we could have had the divorce storyline in season one and then a kind of romance in season two and then by season three, living a whole different life. And actually life's not like that. And, and I'm sure going through a divorce, especially with a child involved, is not like that. And I think actually the fact this has been an ongoing storyline throughout it, it has evolved. They've you know decided to divorce, they've moved on, she's in a new relationship. They've sort of introduced new story elements that's kept it moving but it stayed quite true to life and that that is a huge life change that they're trying to navigate and that's an ongoing thing. And yeah, kudos to them for doing that. Yeah, I think so. As, certainly as, as diverse, divorce is more and more prevalent. It might not have been, necessarily been something that would have been done often in a show in the 80s or the 90s, but by now we definitely should be talking about split families and the nuances that that come with it regularly. I do agree with that. But it is tricky, right? What do you do if your ex-wife is taken by her current squeeze to default Paris. Default <laughs> Paris, so good. I mean, the Eiffel Tower is just a, a lamppost for the publicist, right? Yeah, that was going to be my closing quote, Adam. Sorry. <laughs> we can cut this bit. No, don't cut it. It's a great quote. A good thing for us all to remember when we're not feeling super shiny. One of my favourite moments in this episode was seeing outside the pub after they'd been to a West Ham match. And May comes out and asks him where they've been and tells Henry he can't drink there because he's got a West Ham strip on. And then putting Ted and Coach on, on probation, which then leads into the busker playing Hey Jude. And gorgeous, gorgeous conversation between Coach Beard and Henry, where he tells him the story of the song. That whole bit is phenomenal. This, I'm actually welling up thinking about this now. This is like the most emotional bit of the whole series for me. I absolutely loved this scene. I cried during it, not even ashamed. So as a child of divorce myself, I just, that Beard and Henry moment was so gorgeous and so beautiful. And two characters who we haven't really seen interact a lot, but it was just a gorgeous, gorgeous moment. And linking that into the story of Hey Jude, which is famously Paul McCartney wrote for Julian Lennon when John Lennon and Cynthia Lennon divorced. So there's kind of a very famous backstory to that a friend of your parents talking to you as a child and how important, how monumental that can be. I just thought that was stunning. And yeah, I'm nearly crying now thinking about it again. Wasn't it beautiful? I think whilst this is going on, Ted is getting a call from Rebecca because Ted's asked Rebecca about getting a PI. 
to follow them in Paris to see what's going on. Is he proposing? What are they doing? And Rebecca's telling him no. And there's all that lovely stuff about he can't pronounce anything in French. She corrects him in perfect French. And we get the murky buckets line again or whatever it was. But Rebecca also says you need to stop letting yesterday getting in the way of today. And that kind of seems to be the moment that Ted realises, okay, maybe I need to stop. He has a moment. He comes back to the table. And I think this is why I think the actor who plays coach, Beard, who is called... Uh, It's Brendan Hunt. He's also a producer and writes on the series as well. Yeah, yeah. He's a big part of it, right? What I love, so you have that whole scene where he has that beautiful conversation and then... Ted comes back, sits down, puts on a brave face, and they're just these glances, these nervous, worried, supportive glances that Bid keeps giving Ted. They're tiny, but he's trying to read him. Is he okay? What's going on? But he doesn't want to make it obvious in front of the kid. It's such beautiful, nuanced performance. Ted said he thought he'd have more time to take Michelle to Paris in. And Rebecca tells him, your time with Henry hasn't ended. But it's when Coach Beard says, hey, Henry, you have the power to take a sad song and make it better. Again, may have been a little bit of dust in my eye at that moment. Oh, God, I'm welling up again, guys. <laughs> so emotional. And also, I, yeah, I have so many little bits in this, but there's there's one drunk fan who says, when well, they're all singing, na, 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 he's like, come on, fucking sing it. And you can see the fans and May dancing along in the background as well. It's just brilliant. I also really enjoyed when Rebecca does the amazing, you know, you've got to stop yesterday getting in the way of today. And Ted goes, I don't think they're playing yesterday. <laughs> great joke. Great one-liner. Can I just quickly jump back to So I mentioned in the last one about this show in Amsterdam called Boom Chicago that I assume Brendan Hunt had worked at, which is why we had that wonderful, interesting episode set in Amsterdam. Turns out, both Jason and Brendan were at Boom Chicago. That's where they met. And that's where they came up with the idea for Ted Lasso, just for the completionists. Love that trivia. I had a, another quick thing to say on this, and that is that um, I really love the fact that they make it clear that Henry actually just really wants to be with his dad. You know, he loves the Beatles because his dad does. He wants to go and see a football game, even though it's his dad's one day off football. Um, and then the brilliant moment at the end where he's getting in the taxi and Jake tries to give him a fist bump and he just ignores him and walks straight past. And you're like, actually, yeah, Ted might have stuff to worry about with Michelle moving on with Jake, but that's not going to happen with Henry. And that's the important thing. Right. Well, I mean, we've got to talk about what happens at the end of this, right? Michelle turns up, grabs the bag. Ted won't let go of the bag so he can see her left hand. There is no ring on it. He says, how was Paris? She says it's all right, but something's off. So my question is, especially given what we see outside the cab between Jake and Michelle, do you think he proposed and she said yes, and she said she wasn't ready to tell Ted about it yet? Or do you think he didn't propose and she's upset that he didn't propose? And now questioning, is this the right man for me? Or option C... He proposed and she said no. Oh, I like option C. <laughs> throw, you know, throw a cat amongst the pigeons there. What did happen between them outside the cab? So, as Izzy said, Jake tried to fist bump him. He wasn't up for it. And then we saw Michelle coming to the, the open door of the cab, 
for some reason, Jake was that side, took the bag. There was like a weird moment where an unspoken thing where it felt like he had said, was saying to her, what did you do? Or, you know, did you do whatever you were supposed to do? And she said, no, gives him the bag. And she just doesn't seem very happy. And then she turns to look at the window and Teddy stood there still staring. And she smiles at Ted. Yeah, there was a moment, Henry says that his dad's going to buy him a drum kit, and she repeats the Dave Grohl fact that he had said to Henry earlier on in the episode. And at that point, I was like, ah, they're so, they have to get back together. That's kind of where I feel like it's going, that potentially there's going to be a reunion between Ted and Michelle down the line. But yeah, that was, there was a nice ambiguity to that final moment, the wave and the looks between them, and the way sort of Ted just turned around and was kind of deep in thought at the end of the episode. Yeah, I sort of wonder whether they're going to leave a few relationships a bit ambiguous, possibly Rebecca and Dutch Guy, Roy and Keeley, Ted and Michelle. It's kind of almost doing a never say never, but we're not going to tie everything up neatly for you. But hey, let's see. They could prove us all wrong. Well, I mean, it's not the first time in this show that someone's obsessed with DTR defining the relationship. I know we talked about Nate already, but that kind of culmination is... The relationship is defined. They are boyfriend and girlfriend, but Ted still needs the relationship defined. We Keely doesn't know what her relationship is or who it is with now, it seems. There's some lovely little moments, I think. There's uh, Will teaching Henry about kit presentation and hangar integrity. And Roy asks, is this a game or child labour? Trent says, in late stage capitalism, what's the difference? And then Beard says, word... I do think what this season has done really well and also it's maybe making it a bit complicated, this is a bit of a double-edged sword, is that all the characters are really getting a chance to shine. Everyone's having great moments. Like we've talked about Will having brilliant moments the last couple of episodes. Beard's had fantastic moments this season. You know, the whole ensemble is just getting such a good a good run of it. I guess the flip side of that is it does feel like it's handling a lot of storylines and I'm slightly concerned about how it's going to tie everything up if every episode feels quite packed but in some ways I almost don't mind because it just feels like everyone's getting to have their moment and that's really lovely. Um, I've remembered my favourite Trent moment it is the little woof that he gives at the end of the Diamond Dogs scene that just was just incredibly cute. I mean so the line this whole season that's made me laugh out loud the most uh, wasn't actually in an episode that I thought was particularly strong but was Roy's line about bullies and breaking into their house and standing over them with a rope soaked in red paint and just like that long monologue and Trent just dropping his mug of coffee. (laughs) Was there a rainbow flag on Trent's mug? I don't know, maybe it wasn't, but it certainly seemed to be, it looked like lots of different colours were on his mug. And I guess we probably should talk about the lads having the discussion about what is consensual and how long you should hold on to intimate pictures and videos and the knock-on effects of that. I really enjoyed that scene. Yeah, I think this is all going to come to play in the next episode, actually, because it's through this that they're talking about, you know, the son calling it a great awakening, and Colin jokes about what he'll be doing tonight. Again, this is him covering up his homosexuality and Isaac kind of berates him for that and then we get the squad kind of discussing it from all the different angles and Isaac basically tells them all they've got to delete everything off their phones again one of my favorite lines 
Danny Rojas saying it's not about the law, it's about doing what's right, like in Les Miserables. And <laughs> someone else going, fuck yeah, 24601. But Colin doesn't want to delete his photos. And it's Isaac who confronts him, takes his phone, and then sees something that he shouldn't have seen. I think Colin's saying he doesn't want to delete his photos. I, however, think he's uncomfortable of having the people sat around him see him open up, obviously, a shit ton of dick pics. Right. Yes, he goes off, doesn't he, to another part of the stadium to to do it. And that's where Isaac sort of finds him and grabs his phone. I think Isaac's pissed off because Colin's not been honest with him, not because Colin's gay. Yeah, 100%. I think that's what that is. Is that I don't know who you are anymore because that's something significant to you. You haven't told me, you haven't told the lads. We tell each other everything. And I wonder if we've said this before, maybe Isaac is gay as well because we haven't seen Isaac talk about women at all. We've got lots of people talking about women in all different ways, some very problematic, some respectful. And obviously Colin is like hardcore, over the top. I'm an absolute shagger. I love birds. Craziness. But Isaac is never like that. Isaac is about the team. He's about the oneness. And I suppose, I guess, to an extent, he is about whatever his needs are in that moment. Maybe Isaac is gay as well. And that's the other thing. Like, well, why haven't you said anything? Yeah, I'm gay, but you could have told he, me. We're mates. He, he hasn't said anything either, though. So do you think it's it's more being upset about the fact that he could have had someone to share what he's going through as well with and that he hasn't i don't know was, i think i came up well i said previously that i thought there was a chance that isaac was gay as well i'm not going to claim it was my theory <laughs> <laughs> i think you'll find it was me who said that damien cooper colin's secret is definitely going to come out i think in the next episode i think that's they're setting that up grand well lots and lots to talk about this has been incredible diving through it all if you want to let us know what you think about ted lasso or what you're watching or anything else you can contact us on the social media at tvdnapod or email tvdnapod at gmail.com you can get involved in our polls if you listen on spotify and we have episodes covering succession and yellow jackets and our weekly watch list spoiler free episodes where we talk about the best of the rest of the current tv crop I'd love to see us out with a um, a great bit of family days out advice from Coach Beard. There's a Raven Peckham. <laughs> Once again, big up the people's borough of Lewisham. Uh, Peckham's actually in Southwark as an ex-resident. Oh. I can see that. oh no, gosh, then no. Sorry, <laughs> then we definitely shouldn't be going to a Raven. Does that mean none of Peckham is in Lewisham? No, none of it is. All Southwark's where I pay for council tax for a good 10 years before I did move to the People's Borough. Oh, gosh. Oh. I, I don't think I'm allowed to be on this podcast anymore. I've, I've studied the great name of Lewisham. I was going to suggest we uh, we end the podcast with um, Hey Jude. Na, 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 Come on, fucking sing it, you lot. Na, 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 na. Hey Jude. That would sound phenomenal. That's going to be absolutely gorgeous. (laughs) To spend all that time. uh, uh, Oh, man, I'm sorry. I can't speak. So, is this any thoughts, Demo? (laughs) Yeah, why not?